Hey, congratulations. If you've been listening to the McCovey Croncast from the very beginning, you've done it. You've reached the end. This is the secret prize. You get to listen to D.B. Firstman and I discuss baseball names for 30 minutes and have fun with spoonerisms and weird stories about players' names, uh, who had the weirdest names, etc. Also, you get to we hear about the Simpsons a little bit, and you get to hear me stammer one last time. Uh, this is the last McCovey Croncast, as far as I know, episode number 89. And I really appreciate everyone who's listened. We've had a very solid base of listeners from, from the very beginning, and that hasn't waned even when we've gone on long hiatuses and um, even when it didn't look like I was going to keep doing this. Um, I wouldn't say this was a, a labor of love. It was a, it was an interest, and I thought it was a I always thought it was a faster way for me to churn out content initially when I was writing for Grant. And then it just became this thing that I kept doing. Um, and it and enabled us to talk to people like Brian Srabian, uh, Grant many times, obviously, and get Doug on the phone and Sammy and Roger. Um, a lot of people from the site who I thought had interesting things to say, but not always the time to dump it into a well-composed, written, edited article. And so I wanted to give all of us a chance to maybe not quite be a, a sports talk show or anything like that, but just, you know, if we had some Giants takes to uh, break them out. And uh, I feel like uh, we did a lot of interesting things here and there, and you got to hear what we were like and hear another side of things, maybe answer some of your questions, and uh, maybe for one brief moment think about something other than the pain in the world or whatever else is going on and think about and talk about Giants baseball in maybe a slightly different way than you had before. Um, so thanks again for listening. This is the final Croncast. D.B. Firstman, and they will talk about their new book coming out. comes out in March called The Hall of Name. So look out for that. Joining us now is D.B. Firstman, who is writing a book that comes out uh, in March. It's called The Hall of Name, Baseball's Most Magnificent Monikers from the Only Nolan to Van Lingle Mungo and more. Uh, again, it comes out in March. D.B., thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I was saying to you before, and then I realized I want to save it for this. I, I really love... I mean, if you, those listening, if you've, uh, if you're just new to baseball Twitter, DB is, uh, you okay. love names, baseball names. And it's like, you occupy a very specific niche it, it, on baseball Twitter. And I love it because it's, it's very pure. Um, what do you have? Do you know why you're so fascinated with the names? Uh, I think it's an extension of my fascination with words and etymologies to begin with. I've always been a bit of a word nerd, whether it's puns or spoonerisms or anagrams. Uh, I play I play Scrabble competitively. I do crossword puzzles. Um, words themselves, beyond the meanings, you know, some of them are just fun to say. And how do they how do they come into existence? And names are, are sort of a, uh, a extension of my interest in, um, I'm always curious as to the etymologies of names, how did they come about? You know, are, you know, some of them are really fun to say, some of them are weird and wacky. And um, 
I found that I was sort of drawn to, first of all, the name itself and then how it came into existence. Some of them are, some of the names that I've come across don't have a real etymology except for what their parents decided to call them. They don't, there's no rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> um, so that was sort of the genesis for the book. Well, the, the, the genesis for the book was basically this grew out of a column on my website, on my um, blog, Value Over Replacement Grit. I used to do a sort of a salute to great names in baseball history, and I wasn't looking necessarily at the greatest players, but the ones with the most memorable names like Doug Goosh and um, – you know, Cal McClish and things of that nature, just to sort of point out, like, you know, beyond the stories, you know, the, the names themselves just make you smile or, or make you think about what what went on in their parents' head at the time at the time of birth or were they an ancestor? Was was there was what was their story behind the name? And so uh, that's sort of where the name interest came. It, it was basically an offshoot of my interest in words in general. I remember uh, it was, I don't know how many years ago now, but you have a, a, a Google sheet <laughs> uh, of, of uh, spoonerisms. Basically, yes, every I do. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it's, it's an enjoyable uh, time vortex to just go through and look at all the spoonerisms. Uh, yes, whole whole camels is probably uh, the favorite of most of the Twitterverse. Whole camels for Cole Hamels. Yes. It, it is an all timer for sure. Um, yes. <laughs> regrettably, you know the Giants have a lot of uh, same for you know Michael Morris always. Uh, he he's a player who deserves one, and you can't really spoonerize that. Um, right. <laughs> so yeah, this the book that you're writing. I mean, this is this is going to. The people aren't going to know about the gooshes of the world uh, and, unless they pick up this book, really. But uh, how many names are we talking here? Like a, a ballpark figure for what, what uh, people would expect? I, I have prof I've profiled 100 names. Uh, they are all inactive players. I chose to work first on inactive players uh, because, A, it was my first book, and I figured – there would be more profile and biographical information on players who have already played the game and had their careers. Um, so it would make it easier for me to research and write about. And so there's a hundred names and they span from the 1870s through 2010. Um, and there, there are all sorts of names. There's, there's an, uh, names that are anagrammable. There are names that are alliterative names that sound naughty names that are, that are just, silly you know so i i picked a a a smorgasbord a a sort of potpourri of name qualities to to profile here well i think i mean that that pretty much speaks to what baseball is too i, I think that's the part that i'm so fascinated by is just simply that that they were able to kind of capture this the spirit of the game in a lot of ways there are vulgar players there are you know naughty players there are really weird players fun just like fun guys who live life and they have a name that matches it um do you have like a do you have fond memories of baseball growing up is there like a a, a distinct connection like i'm imagining a, the first game or two that you went to there was just a name that stood out to you um, or there was just something about the game itself that immediately connected to the, um, you know, your fascination with, with names, <laughs> with words. 
Well, um, my fa- let's let's step back a moment and take a look at my my interest in baseball. My interest in baseball was basically fueled by my father. My parents were divorced when I was two. My mother had custody of me. My father would come and visit on weekends, plop himself down on the couch and turn on the Yankee game. And for somebody who is six or seven years old trying to relate to the father they barely see, I realized that if I was going to relate to my father, it was going to have to be through baseball and through the Yankees. So I started watching with him and and sort of absorbing what the game was about and learning about the beauty of the game in terms of, you know, strategy and, and, you know, athleticism and things of that nature. And I wouldn't say I was focused mostly on names at that point. Um, Names were just sort of uh, the, the, the interest I had in words per se was more than the interest in, in names. It was it, the names were sort of a later concept of, of interest. But my interest in baseball was fueled by my father. Uh, it was really the only the only way I could reach him. Uh, unfortunately, he had mental health issues. He was he was paranoid. He was delusional. He was agoraphobic. And um you know, the, the, the way to reach him and the way to relate to him was through baseball. And that's, that's, so baseball has been a part of my life since very early in my childhood. And, you know, my father has passed on, you know, 25 years now, but baseball has already always been an integral part of my life. And my interest in names is just sort of my quirk, my quirky nature. It's, 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 it's just an outgrowth of my quirky nature it's an extension of my interest in words and wordplay. And um, I don't know if I have a early memory of a great baseball name. I mean, growing up, there was there was uh, in the early 80s, there was Billy Joe Robodeau oh, from the Milwaukee from the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, that, you know, just the, it rolls off the tongue. And, you know, it turns out he's from Massachusetts and how many Robodeaux are in Massachusetts. You know, it's a very. French provincial kind of name and he's growing up in Massachusetts and, you know <laughs> so there's great stories behind these names and that's where that's where I get my my kick from it's just learning the origin stories of some of these players you're the Jason Stark of of baseball names I feel like <laughs> uh, and 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 I will I will say that Jason has reached out to me he he considers me the name the quote name game expert when there's a question about whether players have done players with particular names have done particular things, whether it's a particular pitcher catcher battery with the same, you know, the same last name, or uh, I discovered there was a, um, there was a pitching battery a few years ago. I think it was Jared Cosart and Jason Castro. <laughs> and Cosart and Castro are anagrams right of there. each other. Yep. <laughs> so I researched because this is what I do. I researched, I researched to see if there was ever a, another battery, which were anagrams of each other. And I came up with Matt Noakes and Randy Nosick <laughs> from the mid 1980s as the only other anagram battery in major league history. And, and that's what I do for fun. <laughs> I don't I don't have much of a life but I do have fun doing that. I really think that's but I that's what I love about baseball so much and I 
and I get stressed out personally about what the focus tends to be on. But, you know, DB, you uh, are you're the love of the game. You know, that's the whole reason why we congregate online and, and talk about it and commiserate and obviously get upset about it. But there's so many dimensions to it. That's why I said it's very pure. And so I enjoy it. <laughs> I, I, I hope there's no shame in you say when you say this is what I do for fun. I think it's great. Uh, and obviously... Okay. People who look at the game, you know, it's like, you know, Jason Stark or Ken, the Ken Rosenthal's of the world, they're going to get caught up in the business of it. And sometimes they might forget that there's this whole other dimension that makes the game uh, really what makes it enjoyable is the people. Um, so well, thank you. <laughs> thank well, you for your well, service. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to serve and I'm glad people appreciate it. Um, I will step up for Jason and say that his useless information column oh, on the sorry, athletic sorry. is is another tip to the beauty of the game that is not necessarily about the business of baseball it's about the wild and wacky statistical quirks that come about in in every game and so jason i think is a kindred spirit and that's why i asked him to write the forward to to the book so that's an extra special bonus you you're going to be getting jason stark's forward for my book that's fantastic. Uh, I'm. I understand exactly why you picked inactive players, but, but my goodness, whole camels. One day, that that's an interview you got to get. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I'm doing these last run of podcasts, and I am uh, asking everyone the same set of questions. So I, I don't. I'm going to take a brief detour into the business of baseball. Are, are you still like a, uh, are you a staunch Yankees fan? Or are you just more, uh, you know, I like baseball and I'm going to watch it. Uh, I, my father made me grow up a, a Yankees fan, but the, you know, the, the Steinbrenner era sort of soured my taste on, on Yankee dumb. And um, nowadays when I watch baseball and I watch it a lot, uh, I prefer first and foremost to watch the Mets because I love Gary, Keith and Ron on um, SNY. Uh, they are the best broadcast team on base uh, for, uh, for baseball on TV, I think. Uh, but my, my love of baseball spans all teams and all eras. Um, I, I love the numbers behind it. I love the, the um, anecdotes around it. Um, so I'm not particular to any, any team. I mean, I will, I will follow the Mets because they, they, they are an interesting story. Um, they have an interesting history. It's sort of the, the you know, sad sack of New York City, the second cousins, you know, the ugly stepchild of New York. Um, so... Um, and, of, and I happen to live about 20 minutes away from, from City Field as opposed to an hour and a quarter from, from Yankee Stadium. And I prefer City Field to Yankee Stadium for watching a game. So um, so if you pin me down, I'm, I'm probably a Mets fan. But generally speaking, I will, I will, I will watch baseball anywhere, everywhere it's played, whether it's, it's Japanese or, or the world, you know, the world baseball classic or, you know, college, you know, whatever, wherever it's played, I'm probably going to be interested in it. Well, I mean, the, the Mets are the Giants cousins or how I always look at it. So (laughs) they have, they share some similarities too. So uh, I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll let the broadcast crew, uh, endorsement slide that's fine they're 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 a great crew 
Um, you know, we have Kruk and Kipe, so obviously Jordan yes. fans are. Yes, they are. Biased. We have John Miller and Dave Fleming. Anyway, uh, my favorite bit of listening to the Mets booth is always uh, Keith Hernandez eschewing any analysis and simply grunting or groaning <laughs> in reaction to a play. Uh, or you it was know, Ron I, Darling. I, I, you know what? It's both of them because Keith Hernandez grunts, but Ron Darling will do it in the playoffs for TBS where we'll just make a sound. I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that they will, they have the uh, ability and uh, approval of their, their, um, employers to go and criticize the play, you know, and say, you know, the guy, the guy should have cut the ball off. He should have done this. He was playing too close. It's nice to see that they're not homers and they're not, and they will call out their own, their own team as it were for shoddy play or, or just a, a a weird circumstance that comes up in the game. And they also get a Seinfeld night every year, which is incredible. Yes, they do. Yes, Yes, they do. (laughs) Uh, and they do that kids booth thing as well, I believe. Uh, uh, I think yes, they're the only ones that do it, and it's good. Um, yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, I mean, this is kind of uh, relevant. It's on topic. The Mets uh, just yesterday restructured Yoenis Cespedes's deal. So, uh, based on his mysterious uh, injury that has essentially uh, put his baseball <laughs> career on hiatus, that, that that seems fair, right? Uh, I think it's fair, and I think it's it's akin to what befell some of the characters on the Simpsons Homer at the Homer at the Plate episode. Did he like, drink too he, much? He fell in a well, or he went through the 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 the, the, uh, the fun house, or he drank the tonic. Something happened to him that we can't really explain. Uh, so, I want to put a pause in the Simpsons talk for a little bit because you're also one of the biggest Simpsons fans on on baseball twitter so which is hard to be in the top percentile of but you are definitely <laughs> um, uh, but yeah so the mets uh, basically are going to save uh in terms of a guarantee it looks like about 20 million dollars this year so i have three questions i'm asking all the guests that's that's the for those listening that's the setup here um and you don't have to get too elaborate with your answer you can also say pass which I did, okay. not, I did not give Grant Brisby that opportunity. But uh, okay, so what what is financial flexibility? Financial flexibility is having a, enough between what you are spending and what you are budgeting. I mean, that sounds very sterile, but it the Mets say they have no financial flexibility, but that's only because they really don't want to go above the luxury tax threshold. And so it's an artificial, it's an artificial construct in their case, but financial flexibility means being able to add about add players throughout the year or go after a contract that might be expiring, but that might put you over, um, put you over the luxury tax threshold. Uh, flexibility is is just it, it's an economic tool that teams should employ so that they're not you know they're not hamstrung. Like let's let's put it this way: Miguel Cabrera's contract with the Tigers strangles them in terms of flexibility or it did until they started offloading other contracts so he's still on the payroll for another i think three or four years at like 30 million dollars 
that hinders financial flexibility. And so those kind of contracts are, are when, you, when you lay out that kind of money that far into the future, that hinders financial flexibility in my, in, in my view. All right. What is player value? Well, player value, you know, we, we toss around the concept of wins above replacement war and um, player value can be, can be assigned based on how many wins above replacement compared to their salary. Uh, we can assess a player value as to something, something non-financial like their, their ability to keep the clubhouse together uh, that's not a financial aspect. That's that's a team team building aspect. You know, there 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 are great teammates. There are great you know great leaders on the field, and then there are players who are disruptive. You know, the Milton Bradleys of the world who sow discord in every clubhouse they go through. Um, so the value of a player can be ascribed in various ways. It can be financial. Uh, and you could be getting a better bang for your buck. You know, that's why that's why teams are focused on having cost controlled players pre, you know, pre arb players of, of particular, you know, particular uh, have a particular value to them that they're cost controlled. They're going to go through arbitration and then they'll hit free agency and then you know, the sky will start falling. But you know the, the value of the player is basically what what does he what does he give you on the field? What can he give you off the field? Uh, does he put people in the seats? Do people come to see him buy buy his jerseys? Um, you know, ask you know get memorabilia with his name on it. You know, so there's various ways of ascribing value to the players that is that goes beyond you know just pure salary of the player. Speaking of which, you mentioned in there, Brilton Madley. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to spoonerize the entire show, aren't you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's what the transcript will be just every day. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, the reason why I'm asking that, that's such a thorough answer and that's exactly why I'm asking the question. I, I feel that a lot of the execs in baseball and the writers as a result are just throwing these terms around and they do mean different things, uh, based on who's saying it for sure. That's a, a reality. And I think what I'm trying to get is it, it, everyone who's saying it has their own agenda, but everyone listening to it might actually have the same idea of what it means. And so that gap is what I'm sort of starting to feel some tension over. You know, when the Pirates talk about payroll flexibility, it's not the same thing as the Mets. It's not the same thing as the A's. Uh, right, well, that, right. that might be closer in their case. But um, so then my last question is kind of around all that, because one of the things you hear about is we want to build a sustainable winner. We want to build a sustainable winner. And I'm not sure I know what that means. So I, the question I'm freezing, which again, you can pass, <laughs> is that, you know, the Giants were, you know, when Brian Sabian ran the Giants, they had four losing seasons out of 20. That's it. So would that be considered a sustainable winner? Hmm. Well, there is the thought that, you know, if you win titles, you are a winner. And if you happen to win 85 games but don't make the playoffs, you know, it's all relative. If you go through – Yes, yeah. 
if you go through 16 out of 20 seasons with a winning record, that seems to be, that seems to, to define yourself as a winning franchise. If you're the Yankees and you expect to be in the playoffs every year and you expect to be in the World Series and win championships every year, and you don't make the playoffs or you lose in the first round or you lose in the wild card from, from river Avenue, from the river Avenue offices of Yankee stadium, that's not a winning season. And they have for the Yankees, they've imparted upon their fan base. We expect to compete every year. We expect 90 plus wins and, and, you know, playoff bursts and things of that nature that's their definition of winning. Um, and so for other teams, I don't know. Uh, the sustainability of a winner is so much uh, in line with where the players are in terms of their careers. If you're, if you're doing what the Astros did and basically tearing apart your team down to its bare bones and going after first round draft picks for three consecutive years with number one picks and you're out front about it. You know, they, they didn't make any bones about it. They were, they were tanking and they let, the, they let their, their fans know there is a method to the madness here. We are, we are tearing it apart so that we can build something that is sustainable. And so as we see, you know, the, the, you know, the cheating scandal notwithstanding, they have built a successful long, a, a, a short-term going towards long-term winner, but they had to go through a period of significant losses. And now they're coming up and saying, well, wait a minute, now we're bumping up against a payroll that we're not comfortable with we may have to trade Carlos Correa. Right. So it's, you know, you, you, you get to a certain point where these with, with your assets, where they, they, you, you, you scout them, you sign them to a, you, you draft them, you sign them to a contract, you put them through the minor leagues, you, you go through arbitration with them. They, they might become stars and then they go into free agency if you don't sign the long term. And then you have to repeat the process all over with a new set of people. That's why it's so hard to keep a team together for multiple years because they're all in different for, – for, for the large part, portion of Major League Baseball, they're in, the team's composition is in such different states. Some of them are reaching arbitration. Some of them are reaching free agency. Some are rookies. Like, look at what the look at what the Braves have done. You know, they have Acuna and um, who's the other one that they signed long term? Um, Albies. Albies, yes. And then they went out and they signed Josh Donaldson for one year, and it worked out great. Now they they need to go and find a replacement for Donaldson, but they didn't they didn't lock themselves into a long term deal. Because they they have the, they have the flexibility now. They know what their they know what their payroll is going to be with Albies and with Acuna, and they they can build off of that. Yeah, I think you nailed it. With it's it is relative for every team. So let's take a moment and just grumble about the Yankees never really having to 
go down for very long. They had one, like, it wasn't even a losing season. They won, like, 84 games, and people were bummed, and then they were good the next year. Yes. And I, I think what I think I think the stat is they have not had a losing season since 1992. Okay, that's a sustainable winner. <laughs> that's a sustainable winner, but... But if you look at Mr. Steinbrenner's crew, you know, you know Randy Levine and the, the the suits in at you know in River Avenue, they they have different goals. They they have different definitions for winning, and um, it's it's you know they have the highest one of the highest payrolls. They have the the, the average seat cost is is exorbitant. You know, even for New York City. Uh, and they built they built this monstrosity of a a you know stadium to to generate this revenue and they have their own they have their own regional sports network and so it's 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 a it's it's a monster. It it definitely is, but I don't have you for very much longer, and I need to get this in. We got to do our Simpsons top. We got to do our favorite Simpsons episodes before we sign off. Oh my! Yeah. I, do you do you not have a top five readily available? <laughs> okay, uh, the the Moneyball money episode because it gave me my my profile picture on um, on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kate, uh, Homer Homer at the bat has to be in there also. Yeah. Um, the thirty two short films about Springfield. Nice. Do you have a favorite within that one? Uh, yes, it has to be the the when um, Skinner hosts um, <laughs> Superintendent Chalmers. Superintendent the Chalmers, and it's like steamed ham. Yes, that's what we call it here. Aurora Borealis entirely in your kitchen. Yes, can I see it? No, you know it's, that's just that that floors me every time. Uh, that that just gets me gets me going. It, it's such a such a preposterous. <laughs> you know, sight gag, and and you know, it goes through the entire episode of just these transitions to odes to to uh, various films, and it's just a masterpiece. It's it's twenty three minutes of masterpiece. <laughs> Uh, others, um, I don't know if I have too many others that I'm really, really uh, can pull pull out uh, out of the top of my head right now. Fair um, enough. I did put you on the spot, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's okay. Of, it's <laughs> uh, well the 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 Moneyball one has what is probably the la- of this century's Simpsons episodes one of the classic lines from Bill James where he says I made baseball as fun as doing your taxes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he says yeah. it with such joy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know that speaks to the backlash over new statistics. It, it speaks to, you know, some some baseball purists are like we don't understand war, we don't want to under- understand, you know, OPS, you know, batting average is king and you know, so they'll stick their head in the sand. I love that. It's like base. Like I don't believe that's just one number. What does that mean? Batting average. That's one number. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the only number that matters is a win. Yes, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, Jacob Degrom has two Youngs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, DB Firstman. Uh, that's their name, and they've written Hall of Name. Baseball's mo- most magnificent monikers from the only Nolan to Van Lingle Mungo and more. 
and there's a forward from Jason Stark in there. If if you're on the fence, but you shouldn't be, there's a over uh, there's a hundred <laughs> players profiled. Uh, DB is one of the purest baseball fans you're going to find online on this podcast. I think you're a big, bigger baseball fan than I am. They're looking at it from just the the love of the game, and I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. All right. Thanks again, DB. You're welcome. Have a good day.